1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rinkwide, the show that always scores. Brought to you by BTM Lawyers. Talk to your lawyers that know all the stats when it comes to your personal injury claim. Those lawyers, you ask, are BTM Lawyers. Check them out at btmlawyers.com. Uh, uh, we went over the Canucks loss to Montreal. 3-2 to two tonight. If you're just tuning in, if you uh, uh, hadn't heard yet, the Canucks fall 3-2 to to the Montreal Canadiens. Their fifth straight loss. Of course... Now is the time of the show that I cringe a little bit because I was told there would be no math, but now there is Taking math. You to class. The math letties with my man JD Burke, brought to you by Dunbar Painting. Dunbar Painting's interior painting services are clean, detailed, and completed by experienced staff. Whether you want one room painted, your old home restored, or have a high-end new home, our staff are ready to show you we care about what we do and provide you with a beautiful job. And like this man is going to do right now is give us a beautiful job of mathletics. That's right. And we're going to start today with some goaltending statistics. And I know it's a hot topic in Vancouver. If people don't have the knives out for Michael Delzato, it's because they've got them out for Jacob Markstrom. They've got them out for Richard Bachman. And you know what? I'm not going to be the one to tell you to put them away because the simple fact is the Canucks goaltending needs to be better. Yep. I talk about the shot share trend and how the Canucks are starting to control more shot attempts at even strength and how that bodes well for them in the long term because you know what they say about shots? They lead to goals for. It's a better predictor than past goals, which means you want to have more than 50% of the shot attempts at 5-on-5. The Canucks right now, they're trending in the right direction, but overall, they control under 47% of the shot attempts at 5-on-5. That number isn't going to improve tonight because at 5-on-5, they lost to the Montreal Canadiens. Bring it back to goaltending. The only team with a shot share even comparable to the Canucks right now that has ever made the playoffs was the Calgary Flames of 2014-15, the team that beat the Canucks in six games and did so in embarrassing fashion. You know how they did it? You know how they overcame their shot share? Good goaltending. Mika Kiprasov. uh, That was Jonas Hiller. Oh. That was Jonas Hiller. Ah. He had that one good year. That one good year with Calgary before the wheels fell off. The Canucks are not getting that with Jacob Markstrom. And that just highlights to me how lucky they are to only be at 10, 10, and 2 right now. When you look at the goaltenders across the NHL, there are a lot of different ways you can slice it. You can look at delta save percentage. And with delta save percentage, you're looking at low danger, medium danger, high danger shots. And you're going, what do we expect the average goaltender to stop based on these bidding locations of shots? Jacob Markstrom has a negative 1%, which means that he is stopping 1% fewer shots than you would expect him to based on an average goaltender facing shots of this difficulty. We can take it a step further. Look at his goals saved above average. This tries to put a number on that. Imagine delta save percentage, except you're trying to look at the difference in goals that your goaltender is allowing based on the difficulty and volume of shots that he is facing compared to an average goaltender. Jacob Markstrom is the sixth Worst goaltender in the NHL by goal saved above average at minus 4.23, meaning that he has allowed an additional 4.2 goals at 5-on-5 alone 
relative to what an average goaltender would be expected to save. That number is the fifth lowest among starting NHL netminders. And that's me taking you to Mathletti's class. And a special shout-out to Dunbar Painting. Used to work there. If you mention rink-wide, when you call them for a quote and it leads to a job, they're going to throw in a free gallon of paint. Let me tell you, it adds up. It adds up. Yeah, they're making a deal. Dunbar painting coming correct, just like my man JD uh, with those stats. If some of those numbers made your head spin up a little bit, well, here, this is one that will bring you back down to earth. 3.27 GAA right now for Jacob Markstrom. Under 900 save percentage at 897. And, of course, all the uh, data that you just gave us right there equals what? Equals very low goaltending relative poor to goaltending. what yes very poor goaltending yeah. a very low goal saved above average but very poor goaltending and you know what the Canucks are not going to be able to outrun that and I think we're starting to see that right now yeah. we're starting to see that this is not a team that can outscore their problems and Jacob Markstrom has to find his game again because we know based on last year some of these numbers for Jacob Markstrom mm-hmm. he was right around median He wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't costing them games. He wasn't winning games. Last night, or sorry, tonight, 3-2 loss to the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think you could blame him for the loss. No, absolutely not. In fact, he made a lot of really good saves in the first period. And the last goal, the the game winner... I mean, there you can't, you can't see through. Yeah, that many. I mean, Ben Hutton was, and I'm not going to put it on Ben Hutton's shoulders as well. But I mean, you couldn't see through that at all. And no goaltender is going to make that save. No. A blast by Drew N that uh, was the game winner. Um, we talked about the depth of goaltending, and of course the lack of depth at goaltending, and of course with Anders Nilsson being injured at the moment, and also Thatcher Demko being injured at the moment. It's just so key for Markstrom to step up his game. And we talked about it before we lit up the mics here tonight. Um, confidence. It just was one of those things. He seems to be a very emotional goaltender. Yep. And it, it always, he, when he lets in that bad goal, he really wears it, and he wears it for too long. And it's one of those, the things in his game that he's got to get out. The mental game has got to improve for Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's striking a balance because you listen to Jacob Markstrom, and you never have to tell him twice that he needs to own responsibility when he has erred. And I think it's almost to a point where it's a little bit too drastic, where you really want to get him into a space where he's not going to be putting himself in the spotlight in a negative fashion on a night-to-night basis. And right now, that's kind of a fight the Canucks are having with Jacob Markstrom. And I know that he's working in a lot of new stuff. Ian Clark's just come in. It's his first year as a Canucks goaltending coach. There's a lot to go into that. I mean, he's got to pretty much relearn the position in a lot of respects. At 28 years old, At 28 years old. And I mean, you you look at the Canucks situation over the last three years. They had Roley Melanson. Three, four years ago, now they've got uh, Ian Clark. Last year it was Dan Cluche. He's being asked to change things up a lot. And you know what? Maybe he's just not a fit with Ian Clark. Maybe he is. I don't know. But you know who has worked well with Ian Clark before? Somebody that Jason Botchford of the Athletic Vancouver is connected to the Canucks. Just speculation at this point. But Sergei Bobrovsky, 30 years old. Ah, Bobrovsky! Bobrovsky's on the case. You know what? I talked about goals saved above average. He is the ninth best in the NHL right so, now. 30 years old. Wonder if the Canucks go down. Oh, that road. so we're going to go here, are we? Yeah, we're going we're to go, down go that here. Road. Okay, so this is, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and I, I'm concerned about the Canucks goaltending, uh, not just, you know, between Nilsson and Markstrom, but also Demko. I know everybody's like, ah, it's okay, don't worry, Demko's coming. But what if Demko doesn't work out? 
And Michael DiPietro, who I think is a long shot to be an, uh, an NHL goaltender. I like his game in junior hockey. Mm-hmm. Is it going to translate in the pros? He's not very big, as we all know. Big goaltenders are a trend because it's a trend that works, yep. right? Uh, and we got two of the biggest ones in Markstrom and Nilsson, but uh, again, what if Thatcher Demko doesn't become what we hope he's going to be? Uh, is Sergei Bobrovsky, would he be the right fit here in Vancouver? Would you want to spend, you know, $7 million plus? $7 million for me is the low end. That, exactly. That's that's where you that's start. If he, and he that's struggled if he to start yeah, this year. Yeah. If he if he struggles from start to finish, yeah. you're talking about $7 million. But as some of the goals saved above average data shows, he's actually playing far better than I thought before I'd actually looked into the numbers. Gotcha. So the big concern for me isn't so much what he'll cost. Because to me, Sergei Bobrovsky, when he's at the top of his game, is the best goaltender in the NHL. I'm willing to stake that claim. Although John Gibson and Anaheim. Man, he's giving him a run yeah, for his money. That yeah. guy is under siege. Under siege every night. Night he, after He held them in last night against the Leafs as well. Um, but the thing is, like, Bobrovsky. 30 years old. You know, he's got a cap hit. Bobrovsky this year, a cap hit of uh, $7.4 million. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, 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 that's only going at, up. Yeah, you're looking at low level right there. I mean, but if you do look at the, the Canucks cap, you know, moving forward, they could slot in a player like the Bobrovsky at that price. However, how many years is it going to be? And again, like you said, like how good is this guy going to be? You seem to think he's you know, the uh, the number one in the NHL, which I find quite surprising. But he has proved two Vesna trophies. He's He's been that guy At before. least twice. Does he have that still in him, though? And he'll be 31 next year if he was to uh, join the Canucks or as a free agent or, or, or possibly a trade. I doubt it would be a trade at this point, though. Well, well here's the thing that the Canucks have going for them. 30.45 million dollars in salary cap space according to cap friendly next year and that's without accounting for a 5% escalator from the NHLPA never mind where the cap goes north or south based on what the uh, you know the league decides with consultation from the PA so you're probably looking at a number closer to 81 million maybe 81 and a half that's going to put the Canucks salary cap space closer to 33 million so if I'm the Canucks and they do go down this route maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but that's what we love to do here at Rink Wide. We love to do big picture. We love to project. And the Canucks are in an envious position as long as they don't get into term. So if you get Sergei Bobrovsky at 31, I still think he's going to be a heck of a goaltender. He's going to be looking for a five-year deal. Uh, That's the thing. Four years for me is the cutoff. Like, I'm talking Jay Beagle. Jay Beagle term. That's where I kind of leave the bar, and it's not going any higher. It's just going to stay there. Four years, but what the Canucks can do, and this is why they're in an advantageous situation, is they can pay him more than the average team. They've got no commitments increase next year. They've got, um, <clears throat> sorry, just looking here at the, the goaltending numbers, Jacob Markstrom only has one more year on his deal. Yeah. At three six, at three six, you can live with that as a backup. I mean, what, where else are the Canucks going to spend That's this too money? Much for a backup, though. Hey, it you're, is. Looking, you're looking they're at they're not like, winning next year, though. I understand that, but I mean, you'd be looking at over ten million dollars in goaltending. If you were to bring in Sergey Bobrovsky. And folks, if you want to get in on the conversation here, 280-1040-844-TSN-1040. That's 876-1040. Text us at 1040-40 or hit us up in the inbox live at tsn1040.ca. Um, 
I mean, you're right. They could definitely carry that sort of price tag if they were to bring goalie Bob in. But they're going to have you know issues with uh, you know signing players. Of course, Elias Pettersson still a couple years left on his contract after this year, so he should be okay. But you're looking at Goldobin next year. I know he's not going to unless he has some sort of crazy season, which so far it isn't really uh, going that way. He's going to need a new contract next year. Uh, they're going to have some holes open up on the defense next year with Delzato being off the books. Uh, ben Hutton's going to get a new deal next year. You're probably going to be looking at over $5 million if he continues to play how, how he's playing. So, yes, they could definitely slot him in, but uh, you know, if they're going to be looking at four years from now, shoot, and you're going to have to put something around um, you know, goalie Bob, not just what they have right now. Uh, Vertanen will be up in a couple of years as well, depending on, you know, where his season goes. I mean, it's one of those things that, yeah, it looks good right now, but moving forward, could it cause a problem? And not only that, if you are spending four years on Bobrovsky and he ends up not being that great and Thatcher Denko comes in and takes over the net and then he needs money, what are you gonna well, do? That, that's that's where things get. That's difficult. a lot of ifs here. That's but. a lot of ifs, and the thing to remember though is that they've got these young players that they have to pay. That's a good thing. You want to be in oh, that yeah, position. No, you absolutely. want good hockey players. But and look at thing, this defense right they've now. They've got cost control. They've got cost control, and that's the thing that for me pans out in their favor. Eric Branson, he's overpaid. You can move him easily. I've heard that the Canucks were getting offers. Hear me out here. If you're trying to clear out space, you're talking about young defensemen who are need to get paid. Chris Tanev, $4.45 million. His deal expires next season. Do you think the Canucks are going to re-up with him? No, they're going to trade him for a younger defenseman. That's at least the course of action that they should take. They're a rebuilding team. They need to get younger on the blue line. That's the path to it. Erica Branson, you know there's going to be suitors out there. You just know it. And you look at that left side of the blue line, Ben Hutton. He's an RFA. They can qualify him at $2.8 million. He's not going anywhere. No, Ben Hutton's not going anywhere. He's he not should, going he shouldn't anywhere. go anywhere. Pouliot's going to be off the books. Unless Pouliot can off re- the books. Yeah. And then you got Uwe you got Hughes. Yeah. And you talk about having to pay them. That is a good problem to have. And I'll tell you why. They're RFAs. They're not going to have arbitration yeah. rights. Yeah. Their negotiating leverage is non-existent. But I've got as much leverage as they do. Where's Brock Besser going to be, though? Right now, obviously, right now, things help the Canucks because Besser is injury, injured at the moment and, of course, not putting up any sort of points, which is a good and bad thing for the team because, of course, we're not really expecting this team to be a playoff team this year. It would be great if they could be. And maybe yep. if they're 100% healthy, maybe they are, uh, you know, vying for that uh, a spot, especially with the way the Pacific Division is this year. But Brock Besser's going to have to get paid as well. So, again, moving forward, I don't think that Eric Goodbranson is easy to move as you think he is. If they're going to move Eric Goodbranson, it would have to be sometime next year at least because I don't see him going up in terms of his production. Hey, he just finished a five-game point streak. Last year, there were suitors at the deadline. They could have got a pick. Yeah. I've heard from uh, Jason Botchford. He was doing uh, a Q&A at The Athletic. Miles Wood was on the table from New Jersey. Miles Wood? Miles Wood from New Jersey. Who would be a decent pickup for the Canucks? Absolutely. He would be an absolutely decent pickup. But it just seems like they're, they love they love them some good Branson, though. The Canucks I love know. them. I mean, $4 million. I mean, no, it's not, it doesn't break the bank. But again, like I said, just moving forward, I just don't know how you sell to this market, even if it's just for one year. 
because Jacob Markstrom will be off the books after next season. I don't know how you'd sell to this market that you've got $10 million in goaltending. and, and That's the low end. Yeah, exactly. That would be the low, low end. If you're the Canucks and you want to keep that term below four or five years, you're looking closer to $12, 13000000 million, I think. Per? If you want to, if you want to keep the term down, yeah, seriously, because other teams are going to offer him five and six. Yeah, it's the think, only way you can do it. I think a five-year deal would be ambitious for Sergei Bobrovsky. Yeah, especially with the way his season's going at L- the moment. Look at what happened with Carey Price, though. He still got his Oof. ten mil, and that contract runs until Carey Price is thirty-eight years old. And the funny thing about that contract was when it happened. Like, even though he was Carey Price, yeah. you know, the Carey Price, the preeminent all, goaltender exactly. of the NHL. Uh, we all look at these people that I talked to looked at it and went, you know, Montreal's going to regret that contract. Yeah, and now they can't rebuild. Yeah. They're stuck. Oh, yeah, exactly. And they're it's like, so what do you do? You got Shea Weber here eating up tons of your uh, salary. Cap, when he's on also, the ice. Yeah, when he's on the ice. And then Carey Price as well. Yeah, Montreal's going to have uh, a tough time moving forward with those two contracts. All right. Time to take a break here on Rinkwide. When we come back, we are going to talk to Herman Dial from The Athletic in Vancouver. He's got some very interesting uh, n- neutral zone playmaking, uh, or what, what, sorry, excuse me, Jake Vertanen um, entry zone statistics. That's it. Sorry. Zone entry. Zone entry. You're in the ballpark. Oh, my goodness. You're close. This, this stuff is, I, I, I'll get caught up to these analytics. This is Mathletics. This yes, is yeah. the math class I'll, I'll right take, here. Yeah. Armand Dial, he's going to be a substitute teacher. There we you bring go. Bring him in. He's known as Boy Genius at the Athletic. There you that's, go. That's what we call him if you read the Athletics. And he's going to be talking about his article for the Athletic Vancouver about Jake Vertanen's neutral zone playmaking ability there and how go. that could be the key to unlocking his potential going that's forward. That's exactly what I meant to say. Right here on Rinkwide, TSN 1040. Now, more of Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Lawton. Welcome back to Rinkside, the show that always scores, as you just heard by the sound of the horn. Rinkwide is brought to you by BTM Lawyers LLP, the only law firm that understands who Jason, Jason Botchford is talking about half the time. BTMLawyers.com, or as Botch might say, the legalists. Is that what Botch says? Did I say that I right? think he says purists. Usually. The purists? Although, you know what? Botch says a lot of things. Honestly, I just tune him out after a while. You know, the athletics, uh, Tyler Dello. Great analyst, does a lot of analytics work. He was talking about the athletics once, and he goes, I understand about 70% of it on a good night. <laughs> and he actually, he said that talking about an article by Harmon Dial. Oh, perfect. Perfect little segue there as we're going to be I, uh, I know. It's, bringing Harmon into the show here. Of course, Harmon uh, does some great work for The Athletic in Vancouver. He's got a piece up right now uh, that's uh, centered around Jake Vertanen and... Um, well, you can break it down, really. You're the you're the math guy. That's that's what they say. That's one of my skills. I that's suppose. one of your skills. I, well, math is not my skill. Now, how were you in high school? Did, did you like? Were you the guy that everybody went to and was like, Terrible. "Hey, write my test for me" or something? Terrible. Like that? I graduated with idiot math eleven. Like, so when what then all of a sudden what you just got good at it or the numbers? It, to, put it this way: if you ha- if if hockey was based around math in high school, you would be what like 
MIT or something uh, like that? Yeah, I might be exchanging stocks. I yeah. might be, you know, I might be one of the guys, you know, financing this year. You wouldn't operation. be with me at 9.30 on a Saturday talking. No, talking. No, I'd, I'd be driving in a Jaguar, yeah, going 100 miles down the freeway. Be over at the Sutton Place. and Of you know, course. I, I don't even know what that is, cocktails. <laughs> But I, I, I do love a good cocktail. I really do. And that brings us to our guest tonight, Harmon Dial. Not even old enough to drink a cocktail. Whoa. I can't believe it. The guy is 18 and he is so polished, does such great work at The Athletic, including an article on why neutral zone playmaking might be the key to unlocking Jake Vertanen's potential. Great article. I recommend everybody check it out on The Athletic Vancouver. Harmon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Not a problem, not a problem. So I I guess just for our listeners here, there's a lot of new information on your Jake Vertanen piece for The Athletic Vancouver. Maybe give your your version of events in that article. Break it down as best you can and, and try to, to set the stage for people who aren't aware of perhaps some of the neutral zone statistics that you're tracking that help inform your analysis on this article. Yeah, so uh, last year, uh, Jake Bertanen doubled every Canuck forward with about 12 possession carries into the offensive zone that uh, uh, in the sample that Corey Schneider, also of the athletic track, and so league-wide by this data, Vertanen was sixth in the entire NHL in the same tier as speedy superstars like Connor McDavid, Matthew Barzell, uh, Nathan McKinnon, and Taylor Hall. The problem is, and I broke this down using uh, both video and data in the article, that things would go completely off the rails for Vertanen once he entered the zone. So Vertanen completed a pass on around 10% of his entries um, which is really concerning because shots taken directly off entries are really low percentage plays, while your chances of scoring off the rush are researched and proven to be uh, exponentially increased based on the number of successful passes you make upon entry. And so in Vertanen's case, this is where um, some of the limited hockey IQ that uh, some, scouts, some scouts were pointing at earlier um, earlier when he was a prospect, this is where that really kicks in and hurts him because he wouldn't process the situation around him. It was just head down in all likelihood and in all likelihood fire a long range shot. And so the biggest thing that I noticed is he needed to adapt to uh, the developing play. And so with his teammates, for example, he needs to lift his head to see where his support is and see if he maybe needs to stall for a couple of seconds to allow them a chance to join the play. And then with the opposition, it's about adapting to the defensive zone coverage and, for example, not forcing a shot through the middle if the opposition's prepared for it. So there's one. So you want him to read the play and change his speed based off that, as well as simply driving uh, hard to the net on a more consistent basis. And so if you look at some of the data for this year, and so I've been tracking it, tracking it along uh, with Corey Schneider again this year, and we've got about 10 games tracked. Um, so far, by the data itself, it's more or less the same story as last year. Again, right in and around that 10% mark. But I will say, despite what the data says, I have noticed improvements, uh, if only barely, in terms of how he's seeing the ice. For example, one play against Colorado really stood out to me where Vertanen entered the zone at a decent uh, speed, saw that there was no uh, no uh, viable play, and so he put on the brakes. He then waited uh, patiently for a few seconds uh, for it to develop, and then he sent a pass right in front to Horvat, who redirected his pass for a good scoring chance. That sort of play, as rare as it is, is really 
really encouraging because I would have honestly never imagined him pulling uh, that kind of playoff uh, last year. I do also notice that he'll stop up on his entries and look up to read the play just in general on a more consistent basis, which is good to see. So a lot of times he'll make the right passing decision as well. But the problem is, is he's failing to execute on the moves themselves, on the passes. And so he's still turning the puck over uh, quite often. And so he's getting there slowly in terms of approaching and processing these situations better. But again, you need you need the execution as well. And so in this in this situation, there's still a, a lot of room for improvement if he can figure it out. Um, in terms of ex- in terms of his success to date, I'd attribute most of his hot start as being a product of increased opportunity, both at inc- that uh, even strength and the power play. So in the last six games, for example, he's averaging almost uh, 17 minutes a night, and so he's getting legitimate opportunity opportunities with Pedersen and Horvat as well, and. That's done wonders in terms of providing confidence and putting him in a position to, to succeed. But again, if he can really work and hunker down on improving some of those uh, zone entry decisions and working with the skills coaches to figure that out, that's something that could uh, really improve his offensive production. A lot of people want to suggest with Jake Vertanen that he doesn't take the puck to the net hard enough. You suggested in your piece that maybe switching him over to the left wing uh, might be good for uh, someone like Jake when going to the net. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I mean, looking at uh, the videos that you did put up in your piece in The Athletic and using the examples of him coming from the left side, uh, it seems like he can go quite hard to the net that way and it almost looks like he's got better finish when he's on that side. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, and that's something certainly that I think also you have to remember, if I recall correctly, he did spend some time on the opposite wing going back to his time in the WHO with the Calgary Hitmen. And even if you look at, for example, I believe it was his goal against the Sabres, um, the backhander, again, that was another one where he was driving in from his uh, left, uh, left wing and my take on it is essentially uh, I'd like to honestly if if he can if he can figure it out if he's okay with the switch and a lot of times you have to work this out with the player as well and see how comfortable they are but again with the video that I've seen um, I, I'm sure it'll show up in the if someone looked at the data as well but I do legitimately believe that he's better going in on the left side because it gives him a better angle to cut cut to the net um, it's easier in terms of puck protection in that he has his body um, as uh, as leverage in between himself and in between the puck and the uh, defender when driving to the net so that really helps um, I, I honestly like to I Again, there are a lot of variable factors. It's not easy to switch a player to the opposite wing. But if if this sort of situation, if he's not able to improve on uh, his entries just in terms of processing and uh, making better decisions, then sure, if he can put him in a position where uh, he's, we're in a position that's more conducive to allowing him to drive to the net at least then sure I'd like to see um, that given a try. Speaking with Harmon Dial from Canucks Army and the Athletic in Vancouver. Harmon, I know that you're working on some brilliant special teams uh, tracking right now looking at the Canucks power play the Canucks penalty kill. Can you maybe take some of our listeners through the data that you are looking at, some of the stuff that you find important when you're trying to track success with the man advantage down a man for the Vancouver Canucks this season yeah, so, and first of all, the reason that I sort of try and uh, look at the special teams data is because uh, pre-shot movement created 
passing isn't really captured in most typical um, on-ice data. And so, for example, not every shot um, is alike. Um, the, pa- the passes the passes the team makes before they take that shot, it forces the goaltender to move laterally. And if you can't account for that, you're taking away um, a big piece of the puzzle in terms of shot quality. And it's especially important in a structured uh, setup uh, like the power play. And uh, so I, I track shot assists. I track um, passes that go across the slot. Um, at both the team and individual level. I track uh, with the penalty kill, puck retrievals, breakups, clearances. And then um, the most important metric I look at, though, is something called zone entries leading to formation. And this essentially looks at uh, the percentage of entry attempts that lead to the power play team either getting a a chance off the rush or setting up in their formation. And the reason I look at this is because research has shown that uh, this metric called Zephyr, which is what I just mentioned. Um, it's the most predictive statistic for special team success. And so it's a better predictor than shots. And it makes sense intuitively when you think about it as well. Once you're set up in the offensive zone, it's easy to create mismatches and coverage holes because of your numerical advantage. But the challenge in the first place is getting set up, particularly when you think of how long it takes for teams to regroup after clearances. So again, I look at both these zone entries at an individual and team level. And, uh, yeah, that's sort of what um, I look at on both the penalty kill and power play. Speaking with Harmon Dial of the uh, Canucks Army and of the Athletic in Vancouver, uh, I want to switch gears here a moment and talk about the Canucks power play. Of course, their uh, power play woes that they've been having to try and uh, Derek Pouliot back there uh, to quarterback the power play. What's your thoughts on possibly uh, bringing Troy Stetcher into the mix with the power play unit? Yeah, that's something that I've been advocating for actually for quite a while, going back to January when Edler was struggling um, before he really started clicking with Besser. And the reason I look to Stetcher as someone who can uh, quarterback a power play in the absence of uh, of Edler is because as a right-hand option, he he provides um, an advantage in how he can swing the swing the puck, uh, swing the puck across. So, for example, if you have Besser on one side and uh, Pedersen on the other, and obviously Besser's out right now, but uh, that gives Pedersen an ex- extra option at the half wall. And what that does is, I had one example of a clip in uh, the Athletics. It it allows him to when he receives the puck, the forecheck the forecheck on the opposite team has to respect his shot, even if it's not that great. Uh, just because if if he cheats too far on one side, our uh, stature will have um, an option to the net, and so that uh, once the forechecker respects that, it's easier to create space for both Patterson. And then once Patterson does receive the puck, um, he can thread it across to Besser. But more importantly, I like him as someone who uh, can roam the blue line east-west laterally. I, I like how he uses his skating to again create space for others. And the main thing that I really don't like with Pouliot is his vision on um, vision on zone entries. So the big problem I see is he's not very smart in how he sees the ice and uses his wingers for support. And I actually wrote a piece on Derek Pouliot for Canucks Army uh, about a couple of weeks ago. And in that uh, article, I actually broke down a couple of examples on the power play where he would ignore his uh, support on the wing and try carrying it in on the own. And there are just too many errant passes. And just 
just with him leading the way, leading entries, that's the biggest problem I see. Because in the offensive zone, he's all right. I, even though he makes mistakes occasionally, I'm fine with Pugliat. But it's getting into the zone in the first place, and that's where the issues uh, issues stem. And that's where I think Stetcher can help out as well. Well, Harmon, thanks for uh, joining us tonight. I know it's a late one, so I uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, great stuff, and we'll be uh, looking forward uh, to more of it in Canucks Army and on The Athletic in Vancouver. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Harmon. Harmon Dial from Canucks Army and The Athletic in Vancouver. Wow, I mean, that is a wonder kid right there. Well, Still in high we, school. We didn't even get to his nickname, I don't think. And, and you know what he's called around The Athletic? Boy genius. He's not called. Are they comparing him to Gretzky at the Athletic as well? Well, because, I mean, well that, that's some Gretzky esque. I like to think right of him there. as more of a Pedersen type. Because, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and hear me out, because you know Bo Horvat. When Pedersen came to the the Canucks, Bo Horvat was talking about how it just makes him want to produce. Con- uh, once <laughs> I'm kind of mixing up the yes. two stories yeah. here, how it makes Bo Horvat want to be a better player. Like, seeing Elias Pettersson in action makes him driven to do better. So Harmon does it for you? Harmon, totally. Like, I see some of the work this guy does, and I'm like, what the? Yeah. Where did he even come up with that? And then You're the veteran. And then it gets worse. This is only half of it. I'll be thinking about doing a story idea. And he'll have it out. And then I'll talk to him and be like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I got that published on Monday. Wow. I got that published on Monday. He beat me to the chase hey. on that penalty kill stuff. Listen up, guys. If you want to deep dive into uh, the analytics approach to hockey, I mean, there's a kid that you need to be following. Harmon Dial, Canucks Army, The Athletic, Vancouver. One more segment to go here on Rink Wide, guys. Thanks for sticking it out with us. The brand new show here on the airwaves of TSN 1040. We will be generally the lead-in show to the pregame most Saturdays. Uh, Three to five on most Saturdays here is where you can catch us. But tonight, uh, doing the post post game show. So stick around. One more segment on Rink Wide right here, TSN 1040. Now more of Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's JD Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rink Wide, the show that always scores. DJSC, Chantel Chan, bringing the heat with the beats. Loving it. Little 90s hip-hop, I'm loving it. Oh, yeah, it's wheelhouse for me right there, baby. Yeah. Rink-wide is powered by BTM Lawyers in Port Moody. First, Gary Bettman put a cap on player salaries. Now, ICBC is putting a cap on personal injury claims in British Columbia. If you've been injured in a car accident, come talk to the legal capologists at BTM Lawyers to find out what your claim is worth. You can find them online, BTM Lawyers. And we're going to bring in Chantel Chand here as we look at the road ahead for the Vancouver Canucks. Chantel, tell us what the road ahead is next week for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, the Canucks have another home game. This one, another Canadian clash against the Jets. What are you guys thinking for this one? That's on Monday. Am I, uh, have I got my day right yes, there? Yes, on, yep, on Monday. I'm going to say they get back into the win column. Woo! Oh, wow. Wow bringing that fire. Well, I, I think I saw a text here in the inbox that said uh, Monday equals guaranteed loss to the uh, Winnipeg Jets. Of course, if you looked at it on paper, yeah, the Winnipeg Jets, definitely a far superior team on paper to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, right now, riding a uh, one-game losing streaks, 24 points in the season. Hey, just a couple more points than the Canucks at the moment. Um, but yeah, going to be a tough game, but at home though for the Canucks, uh, hey, 
Maybe they'll break the five-game losing streak. I'm going to say Canucks take it over the Jets. I'm taking the Jets. I think uh, I think the Canucks get shut out on Monday. Okay. Oh, wow. Too much firepower from the Jets. Come Con- on. Connor Hellebuck right there with it, the uh, with the, the putting up the bagel. Yeah, he's 8-5 okay. so far this season. But What else we got? All right. So on Wednesday, Anaheim. Well, the Canucks are traveling to Cali, so they'll yep. kick it off in Anaheim. And that might be a tough one for them. Going, going, back, back to yeah. Cali, Cali. I'm calling a win. Randy Carlisle team, they get outshot by like 20 oh a night. Oh, goodness. It's the start of a streak. We're going streaking. We're going streaking. Where's the drop? Uh, we should have set you up for that one. Yeah. Uh, Anaheim losers of two straight right now. Of course, they fell to the uh, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs 2-1 in overtime uh, last night. I like the Canucks in this one. I do. I like them going down to Cali and uh, taking one from the Ducks. Like you said, the Ducks give up a lot of shots this year. And uh, that, uh, I'll tell you what, that's a questionable lineup moving forward. We'll get into that another time. Uh, what else the Canucks got next week? On Friday, San Jose, I think this will be the the toughest test yeah. of this Cali trip, of course. And they're actually sitting first in the Pacific Division right now. They're too good. The Canucks, there's no way the Canucks can beat them on the road. They're also 6-3-1 and one at home. But a bit of a disappointing start, though, for the San Jose Sharks. I know, like you said, they do sit on top of the table in the Pacific Division. And, of course, not a very strong division at the moment. Um, but the San Jose Sharks, they definitely have the firepower. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. Going to be a tough one for the Canucks to take there in uh, in the Bay Area. You know what? I, I love my underlying data, and all of it loves the San Jose Sharks. That's who I'm picking. And Eric Carlson just got his first goal tonight as a member of the San Jose Sharks as they won their hockey game. So they're they're starting to catch uh, catch a little fire there themselves. Chantel, do we got anything more? One more, one, one more. more. This is a good one. All it right. might be a tough one, actually. It's probably not. Uh, the Kings on Saturday night. Saturday. The Kings. return of Willie Desjardins. Well, the Canucks seeing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I got that all mixed up. They're going to him. Yeah, the mustache will be twitching that night, I think. I like the Canucks in, uh, to beat the Kings in that one. Uh, again, you want to talk about rosters that are going to be hard to move forward with. Man, they've got some anchor salaries on that team. Uh, Drew Doughty, of course. Hey, I'd take him all day on my team. But that contract is definitely no. a tough one to swallow for Kings fans. And uh, Dion Phaneuf. Uh, what else? We got uh, Anze Kopitar. I mean, the Dustin list goes Brown. on. Dustin Brown. That team is too old too slow, not getting it done. I think they might uh, lose for Hughes this year might be the best thing for the Kings. Uh, Chantel, that's it for the Canucks next week? That's it for the Canucks next week. Busy week, four games. We will recap it all next Saturday. Well, not the Saturday game, of course, because we'll nope. be on uh, next Saturday from 9 until 11. You got one more thing to mention, though. Sunday. Next Sunday from 9 to 11 a.m. Oh, Sunday. Sunday, I believe it is well, Sunday. It's a good thing we'll, I didn't show we'll, up on we'll Saturday. We'll keep in touch. Yeah, right. good, good call there. <laughs> Hey, if you're a fan of the show, you want to see this thing grow. You want to see this show last for the entire season, carry into the summer, bring you the best Canucks takes, guests, analysis, debate. That's what we're going to do. You got to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You got to drop us a rating, drop us a review. And you know what? You want to see the, it's the sustainability of the show? Go to Patreon. $5 gets you into the Lucas Pizza tier. We're going to start doing some additional content for anybody who wants to, to pick up that pizza. Patreon.com 
slash rinkwide. $5 for the Lucas Spiza tier. The Lucas Spiza tier. That's the pizza tier, of that's, course. That's the pizza tier. And it's a, that's, a, that's a cheap pizza at 5 bucks. Yep. I'll tell you what. But that's a lot of value, though, right? Am absolutely. I, right. Right. Absolutely. Right. It's right. like those little take and goes. <laughs> well, the music's playing, folks. You know what that means? We got to get out. I'm Andrew Wadden. He's J.D. Burke. Want to thank Chantel Chan for working the board and, hey, helping us out in the final segment. That's the debut show that you just heard right there of Rinkwide. We'll be back next Sunday. Am I correct? From 9 to 11. From 9 to 11. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. ESPN Radio's next.